the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today this is going to be the second of a two-part series of solo casts. Last week, I shared on how to make a comeback, how to bounce back from a really painful experience. And this week, I want to also press into a a coaching conversation that I frequently have with people. It's actually a deep spiritual formation conversation, and it has to do with confronting and overcoming what I've come to describe as the unholy trinity in our lives. Now, that language is somewhat tongue-in-cheek because, of course, in the Christian faith, we worship Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, so I'm not suggesting this is the opposite of that, but there's a trinity of items that I believe afflict most of us at the soul level that hinder us from living fully as the people that God created us to be. So when I talk about the unholy trinity, and I want to give a shout out to uh, a former student named Ruben, who in the midst of a coaching conversation a couple of years ago, talked, coined the term unholy trinity. So thank you very much, Ruben. And the unholy trinity are fear, guilt, and shame. And these are parts of three soul wounds that I've noticed in myself. And I noticed that most people struggle with at least one of these, if not all three, uh, in their lives. So today's episode is going to be all about confronting and overcoming that unholy trinity of fear, guilt, and shame. And I also want to say at this point, if you find this episode particularly helpful, email me at deepdivespirituality at gmail.com and ask me for my worksheets on the unholy trinity and I'll share you some of the, share with you some of the very coaching tools that I use with some of my clients. Of course, if you'd like to go deeper and have a conversation with me, we can start with that too. So I'm here to serve you and I think this episode by itself will be powerful. But if I can do anything for you beyond that, again feel free to reach out to me get the resource. I'm also going to say if you're listening to this on audio, you can also check out the YouTube video where I'll be going over some of the tools on a whiteboard that I have sitting behind me, though I think I'm going to describe this enough that I think the podcast format itself will be pretty clear as well. So let's jump into that. When I talk about fear, guilt, and shame, here's what that sounds like, feels like in your personal life. Again, fear is that sense that there isn't enough. So I have to grasp, I have to make myself small, I have to protect myself because there simply isn't enough. Guilt, and in a couple minutes I'll distinguish between true guilt or real guilt and then just existential or false guilt. But guilt is that sense deep down that I don't do enough, so I feel guilty. My life's governed by all the shoulds, the things that I think I should be doing. And that robs us of the ability to to be joyful and to focus on the things that we get to do versus the things that we think we should be doing. And then shame, And and shame is a true joy robber because that's the inner wound where I feel like I'm just not good enough. So, There isn't enough, 
I don't do enough, and I'm just not good enough. I'm not enough. That's the unholy trinity. And I'm guessing right now that that resonates with almost everybody that's listening. And if you feel like it doesn't resonate with you, explore those persons around you because you may be the exception, but most people aren't going to be. And keep on listening because you may be surprised by that. So let's start with fear. Fear is a joy robber because it makes us small. And we're, we're, we, we feel small for a whole variety of reasons that I don't need to get into in this episode. But fear robs you because what fear really does and what it is its essence, if you think about it, fear is a form of idolatry. Because we know in Scripture that perfect love casts out fear. I remember when uh, I was younger, I... I, I I guess I, I would have to say I foolishly had three Great Danes at the same time at one point in my life. And one of my Great Danes had the name of Sir Morpheus Maximus. And he was, if he, he could put his hands, his paws on my shoulder, look me straight in the eye. So he was literally like six foot one, kept him in pretty good shape. So he was like 150, 160 pound Great Dane, just a, a huge animal. But what was funny, one night, I woke up in my in my house. I think I was uh, I was pretty much by myself at the time. Um, with just I was on one side, and then uh, again, I, my children were sleeping in another bedroom across the way there. So we're in the house, and uh, it was in November, which is going to make sense in, in a minute. I'll just remember the month. But I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden I hear Morpheus growling. And Great Danes, these are big dogs, so when they growl the earth almost shakes. So my dog is obviously really upset and he's terrified by something. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, somebody must have broken in and the dog is uh, is growling at them. And I'm thinking, geez, my daughters are on the other side of the house. So I'm getting scared then too. And I'm like, okay, I got to stumble out here and see what's going on. And so I remember opening the bedroom door peeking out and the second i opened the door i literally smelled the smell of fear if you've ever been around a dog that's scared they just let off a terrible smell and so you can imagine what a big dog like a dane smells like when it's scared so the smell of fear had stunk up the whole house and as i peek out there all of a sudden any worry and uh and fear that i had instantly turned into laughter because there was my dog, the mighty Sir Morpheus Maximus, cowering before a mylar balloon that had lost the rest of its helium and had dropped down to the floor during the night. And what this was, it was a Halloween balloon. One of my daughter's friends had given her a ghost balloon, and now it's in November, and the ghost balloon had been stuck up on the ceiling. It literally drifted down during the night and scared poor Morpheus to death. But I remember thinking to myself, wow, that's really funny, but wow, we're all afraid of something, aren't we? And friends, in, in your own spiritual life, that fear that, I mean, that, that we have to live small because there's no one to protect us, there just isn't enough, that's a form of idolatry. And I don't use that big theological word uh, to as, as leverage over you, but I really want you to think about this. Whatever you're afraid of, functionally becomes a God in your life, right? That's why the scriptures say the only thing that you're supposed to be afraid of 
is God, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not that we're supposed to be terrified of God, but here's the reality. If you're afraid of anything other than God, those things are your God. And the good news about the fear of God, by the way, and that's a whole nother conversation, is the only thing in all creation that we're supposed to have a response of fear to loves us unconditionally. So that transforms everything. Perfect love casts out fear. So what are you afraid of? Think about that, right? And here's a way to work through your fears that's that's super important. Again, I'll share this tool with you, but if you have a piece of paper, write out, uh, draw three circles and three circles. So it's almost like you're drawing a target. And if you're watching it on video, it'd be something like this. You have three circles, one inside of the other. And what this is a gauge to do, it's just a simple conversation that you can have with yourself or you can share this with somebody else who's very fearful. And what it allows you to do is help that person to recognize where they need to grow in in really courage, right? And this is based on a tool that I found and learned from Les and Leslie Parrott that comes out of their excellent book, Healthy Me, Healthy Us. And what you want to do is you want to see three levels of fear. And again, these aren't all the possible things that you can be afraid of, but we want to begin to start with things that we're clearly not afraid of. We want to recognize what it is in our life that we are completely comfortable doing. So imagine yourself in an area where you do find some fear. Maybe you're afraid as a leader, being afraid of certain parts of your pastoral ministry. You have fear as a parent, fear on your job, uh, fear, you know, you name it. But what you want to start with is start in the middle. And usually we're going to have some part of our life that we'll call the comfort zone, right? And I invite you for a second, this is to encourage you, Um, In that innermost circle, write down in there two or three of your current completely safe practices. Right, so thinking about your present life, what is your comfort zone? What can you just simply do easily that doesn't cause you any fear at all? Now, second, and this is where you'll start learning to push against the fear a little bit. All of you already, all of us, there's some part of our life where we're actually able to do things, um, but those things cause us to feel fear, but we're able to act anywhere. So what are the two or three things that you could write down today that's outside of your comfort zone that makes you uncomfortable. And these would be things that you would typically procrastinate doing, usually because you're afraid of failure or you're fearful of what somebody's going to say to you or you're fearful that you're not going to be able to pull it off. So what are some things that you presently procrastinate or you put off because you're afraid of your critics or there's some other reason that's preventing you from action. But these are the things that you can actually do. You know, like just just for example, for today, what's my comfort zone? My comfort zone, some of the things I can do effortlessly is um, love to coach. I love to write. I love to create content. Uh, but, you know, one of the, my uncomfortable zone, though, is I'm afraid sometimes to coach people 
um, certain types of people make me very nervous. Like, for example, I do a lot of business coaching and, you know, my sweet spot as a coach is really spiritual formation and helping pastors uh, to grow in grace. I have several clients who really don't have any spiritual background, so I'm always a little nervous when I work with them. I have the skills, but uh, I don't have that little sweet spot of the spirituality that which, to, 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 which I believe enhances my skill as a coach that I can bring in there. So I have to do it in different ways. That'd be an example of uncomfortable zone. And I have to say even uh, this podcast and the previous podcast makes me a little uncomfortable too because I'm putting my story out there over against simply interviewing other, uh, other experts, which most of my podcast episodes go. But I still do it. I'm, I'm here obviously recording this and we're doing it. So this would be the uncomfortable zone. Okay, so... The last circle, as you might guess, this is going to be your risk or your fear zone. Now, this is the important one. Now, this isn't the zone of just things that you're simply afraid of. Like some people are literally afraid of um, of spiders or afraid of snakes or afraid of sharks or whatever. And this isn't a tool to overcome that. That's a different type of thing. This isn't really an anti-phobia tool as much as it is this. It's like what I'm interested in is what are you afraid to do because maybe there's a risk involved or it's going to take some kind of bold ang action or it's going to be a stretch for you. But here's the thing. I want to know what you're afraid of. Um, what's an action that you already think about doing? It's something that God has put in your heart. It's some dream. It's in your conscious thought that you would do if you knew that you could not fail. Hear the difference? This isn't just some general fear now. This is something that God has put on your heart. It's a dream that you have that if you could do it, you would have a sense that, wow, I'd really be satisfied and fulfilled in my life but you're afraid to do it because it's risky and it would take really bold action, but you've thought of it. Write those things in there. And then here's how you use this tool then. That's part one there, right? What you want to do then is see your life as continually moving more things towards the comfort zone by taking actions on those things. So, you know, if you're on these risk zones, what would it look like for you today? You know, you're, there isn't enough. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to fail. What would it look like for you today to take ba some baby step on something that's in your risk and your fear zone and make it a reality? I know, again, my comfort zone is, is being a professor of biblical studies. I mean, I can almost do that in my sleep. Of course, I got to keep learning, but I, I'm really good at it. Um, two areas I could put that were, were in the risk-fear zone for me, it was God began to put it in my heart as I recovered from you know my hard time as that that whole season i talked about in the last episode going through that really divorce that divorce season as a pastor as a spiritual leader as a seminary professor but i began to sense you know years as i worked on experiencing healing as i grew uh, i sensed that god was calling me to step out and began and to begin owning that story 
enough that I could be vulnerable and helped it on the chance that it could help other people in their healing journey. And the fear was I was going to be judged. People wouldn't like me anymore. I wouldn't be taken seriously as a minister, all those kind of things. And so it was a big fear. And so I took some baby steps. I started sharing a little bit more in my classes with my students, baby step. Um, and then all the next thing was led is like, okay, uh, you need to put yourself out then as a coach for pastors who are in ministry and even for entrepreneurs who needed help and because they were facing challenges in their business. Well, that was the next step. So I took baby steps, which I began to get some training. Um, I got mentored by uh, two different persons who have very successful coaching businesses, but I began to take action that then began to move those things from being risky in the fear zone to being uncomfortable. And now slowly, these things are now more and more in my comfort zone. So that's the first step. When you run into fear in your life, what are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? And how is that becoming an idol that's controlling you and keeping you then from really being fully open to what the God who loves you wants you to do in your life? Remember, God doesn't want you to die with that music in you. There's something in you that God's calling you to. Figure out what that is, and you can use a, t a tool like this to move that from the fear zone in baby steps and increments so it becomes part of who you are long term. That brings us to the second part of the unholy trinity, which is guilt. That sense that I don't do enough or I feel guilty. And I want to distinguish quickly between two types of guilt. First, there's true guilt, right? I'm, I am a Christian, so I believe in sin. Uh, we believe in evil, in injustice, uh, lostness. So I'm not taught when I talk about the unholy trinity as guilt, I'm not talking about that kind of guilt because that's what the gospel is here to take care of. The gospel's good news because Jesus took our sins, our inadequacies, our shame, our hurt, our pain, our mistakes, our missteps, our both intentional and unintentional sins to the cross so that we could receive grace and forgiveness. So if you're in uh, feeling guilty for uh, something that you obviously should not have done and you did anyway, or you, um, or you didn't do something that you should have done, right? That's real guilt, right? And, and all, what do we do? We pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And friends, remember this. We'll always be people in need of grace. So when we talk about the unholy trinity and guilt, um, the, the, our, our faith has resources to take care of the real guilt, the sins that we've committed in, in thought, word, and deed. That's what the gospel's for. So I'm not talking about that. But here's the thing. It's more insidious. Most people I know have a sense of deep guilt anyway. And if you talk to them, it's not for their sins. They just feel deep down in their bones that they're not doing enough. This is a particular affliction that pastors feel and parents feel because what you end up doing is we in our minds we become governed by the shoulds wow if i were a better parent 
I would do this. If I was a better pastor, I would do this. Oh, I should read the scriptures more. Oh, I should spend more time with my kids. Oh, I should, you just keep adding, I should pray more. You've listened to me and you say, oh, I should do centering prayer. Well, there's a saying, if you, ha- if you have too many shoulds in your life, you're just shoulding all over yourself. I've heard multiple coaches and teachers do that. So here's the whole thing, friends. The unholy trinity wants to whisper the words should, could, would in your ears. If you're only better, you should, would, could. But I want to suggest that no, no. We get rid of the shoulds. So I don't want, I don't think that anybody listening to this should do anything. Right? I want to escape that too. There's nothing that I should be doing. What we want to talk about is we want to move everything into two categories. We want to make, if we're going to do something, we want to make it a must. You know, Jesus didn't do shoulds. It was Jesus said things like, I must go to Jerusalem. It's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. It was necessary for me to go to Samaria, right? There's no shoulds, right? So we either want to make the things in our life musts or won'ts. And there's an acronym that you can use kind of laying out your life as a planning tool. I learned this planning tool from my friend Mark Dunwoody, who's also a coach. He does the missional formation training. Um, And he calls it the Moscow Method. I don't know if that's original to Mark, but I learned it from him. And basically, Moscow, again, um, I know it's not exactly the right time to be talking about anything from Russia right now, but forgive the acronym. It's helpful. Must, should, could, would. Just reminds us of those four things, and you just use the O's for holding places. So here's the thing. Whenever you're thinking and you're feeling guilty because you should be doing something else or you could be doing something else, I want you to ask yourself, why? Why do I think that I should or could be doing something else? And you want to really press in and listen in to what you might say you know well what you know what what are you getting at um ask yourself um you know why what's behind that sense of i should or could and a lot of times you know what it's going to be it's going to be unrealistic expectations that you set for yourself based on something that your parents did maybe you're trying to be your mom or dad instead of just being you um, maybe you're tr- if you're a pastor, maybe you're thinking that you should or could do something because there was some mentor or somebody you read about that did all those things. Or maybe you think it's the expectations of somebody else, right? And so what you just want to notice, the shoulds and the coulds. Figure out why. And here's the, here's the thing. If it's important enough to do, then don't make it a should or a could. Do it. Put it on your calendar and take action Otherwise, make it a won't, right? Which means two things, right? If you're in leadership, if there's things that you won't do, you can train somebody or find somebody else to do it. That's called delegation. Or if literally you're doing it for no reason other than you think you should do it, just don't. Eliminate it altogether, right? So that's what won't means. It's really important. Again, I'm not spending a lot of time on this, but that's a key thing. It either needs to be a must or a won't. And I want to suggest as we move things up to the must, there's two kinds, there's two categories here. Because, you know, there are things that 
must be done that are necessary to do. And these are some things that sometimes you may not even love to do, right? But we just want to be cognizant of that. So there's always going to be things that are necessary to do, and you're going to take action on those, right? So like, for example, if you're a pastor, and we have pastors listening to this, um, you know, it's not I should read the Bible. It's, it's necessary for me to read the Bible so that I can prepare biblical sermons, biblical messages, that I can use it as a means of grace to help my own soul grow, right? But here's something that's even better, right? There, we want to take that then. It's necessary. We want to make more and more the things that we actually do. Be able to say, I get to. You know, I love waking up in the morning and in part of my journaling practice, um, after I do my gratitude, after I do a check-in with myself to see, you know, how I'm feeling, I always try to write out, I get to. And I remind myself of things that I get today. Like today, I get to do a podcast that I can share with my listeners. I got to coach a couple of people already today, right? I got to speak with my daughter on Zoom. When you make most of the things that you do musts, you're way past the realm of false guilt because should and could create false guilt. I get to creates joy. So how do you make things that are just necessary that you must do into I get to? So I think there's a couple, three things and I'm, I'm going to do quickly here because I don't want this podcast to end up being too long today. But but here's a couple of ideas, right? If you want to move things in your life from the it's just it's necessary list to the I get to, let me just give you three mindsets to think about. First, be curious. When you're doing something, figure out if, if it's just like, ah, I don't know if I really want to, if I love doing this. Like, what can you learn though? Be curious, hold that space. What can I learn from doing this? Um, be grateful. How can I be grateful for this activity? And then focus on the end product. Focus on the persons that your action is serving. Who am I serving by doing this activity? What is the bigger mission? And let me just give you an easy example from my own life. You know, I'm a professor of biblical studies is what's one of, my, one of the roles that I play. And I love teaching. I love the content creation that goes in there. I love the studying that goes in there. One of the things that's really hard for me is grading. Uh, and grading papers, uh, and there's a seri- a, some reasons for that. But what I found over the last year or so, and I've you know I'm 24 years into my teaching career, and I've always struggled with grading, but I finally hacked it. I've begun to make it. A, I get to by simply remembering gratitude. How can I be grateful for this activity? I am blessed to have the privilege of reading the papers of persons that are going to be in ministry, and literally. This helps to pay my bills, so I can be grateful for that. And then I focus on my students by myself doing a good job grading an exegesis paper or a Bible study paper. I'm serving not just the student, I'm serving the thousands of people that that student is going to have the privilege of serving in their ministry. So I'm helping that student to be all that they can be for the sake of God's mission. And that gets me excited. So when you have that sense that I'm, I don't do enough, that's false guilt. So run your life through this Moscow method and get rid of any shoulds or coulds that don't have a good reason. If it's a good reason to do it, you make it a must. And then work more and more in your life to not be it's necessary to do this, but I get to do this. You'll be so glad. 
And then let me say the last thing. This is the un, the last member of the unholy trinity, which is shame. And uh, shame is an, a, a particular affliction. I know it well. It's that sense that deep down inside of side, I'm just not good enough. Oh, and that feels terrible. You know, and there's a lot of places where shame comes from. Shame can come from actions that we've done in the past that we're ashamed of. Shame can also come from us being victimized by mean persons. Like I know when I was younger, um, you know, I always think of seventh and eighth grade as literally the worst years of my life. Just uh, undergo, went to a really difficult, tough school. And my own little kind Christian soul pretty much got obliterated and I, I was bullied, made fun of. Every day was just anxiety ridden for me in seventh and eighth grade. And at some level, a lot of my life has been a reaction to that. And obviously I could go on. I mean, I can name things in my life that have just wounded me to the core and made me feel like I'm not good enough. But that feels so terrible. And here's how it works. And shame, what it does to us uh, and this is in the the way to get at your shame, right? Sometimes you know what it is, but what I found journaling and centering prayer are the things that surface that deep inner shame. Because what contemplative spirituality does is you get confronted with yourself, and you become confronted with the tapes that we continuously play in ourselves. So think about it. Just step back and pay attention to your own mind for a day. Notice every time that you judge another person, that you judge yourself, or you judge your circumstances. And I'm going to say underneath all that is just shame that you're just not good enough and that we project that on others and begin to tear others down. And we even project that on the present moment uh, as though the present moment isn't ultimately perfect in its own way, right? And so I'm not good enough. So how do you deal with shame? And this is just a couple of ideas. And again, I'd love if I could serve you in some, some way, have a different conversation. But I think that the, the upfront shame buster is going to be this little prayer that I love to share. You know, I, I shared the Jesus prayer as the guilt, the, the true guilt buster. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The shame buster prayer is that second one-line prayer that I love so much. It's from a, a spiritual director named Macrina Viderkare. And it just simply goes like this. Oh God, help me believe the truth about myself no matter how beautiful it is. Yeah, I love that. I remember when I first heard it, I thought, wow, that sounds heretical. But it only sounded heretical because I didn't believe the truth about myself. All I wanted to believe was all the bad things about myself or those tapes. So listen into your own soul, listen to your mind, and you can help others through this too. It's like, where do you feel as though you're not good enough? What are your preferred favorite put downs that you use and direct against yourselves? Like, oh, Brian, that was so dumb. Uh, yeah. Well, everybody's going to think you're stupid. Uh, that person doesn't like you. You know, if you don't go way out of your way, um, you're going to lose this relationship. Those are all shame-built things. You know, what are the when when ever, when no one's around and you're in silence, what thoughts continually run through your head? Those are the shaming thoughts, right? So, God, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is, because the antidote for that is 
God's grace again. It's accepting the fact that we're unconditionally accepted, as Paul Tillich said. And the, what I found beyond that Macrina Wiederkehr prayer, this is where affirmations come in. And I mentioned these in the previous episode, but let me just remind you a little bit about how to use affirmations. Find the tapes that you continually say to yourself and try to reverse them. What we want to do, again, I'm an old enough, we used to have cassette tapes where you can tape over things. You want to write affirmations that allow you to tape over and create new thought pathways in your mind to to push the shame away and begin to erase shame out of your life because God doesn't want us to be got his frozen chosen God wants us to thrive as sons and daughters of the king you're loved we need to feel that in your heart so um you can do affirmations a couple of different ways. The key thing, though, is to ground them in gratitude and always be grateful. Gratitude's a shame buster. So I always start my affirmations, I'm so happy and grateful now. And then just write some words out that allow you to counteract things. Or you can use Bible verses. Many people like to pray this Bible verses over themselves. Like, for example, you can use like something from Psalm 139. I'm so happy and grateful now that I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. For me, sometimes I'm like, not good enough. I'm not good enough as a writer. No one's going to want to read my, my books. No one's even going to listen to my podcast. And so I say this to myself, and forgive this if it sounds audacious, but this is the shame buster because the fact of the matter is my words do bless some people. I don't have to pretend like they bless everybody, but God's called me to put these out there. So I need to move past my own shame that I'm not good enough and share. So I, I say things like this. I'm so happy and grateful now that I write the words or I speak the words that the world needs to read. I love sharing my work with the world. Ideas and words flow from my mind through my mouth or through the keyboard onto a printed page. Um, in, in, in ways that are effortless and compelling and bless people. I'm so happy and grateful now that my past is forgiven in Christ, my future is secure in Christ, so I can live and walk and breathe moment by moment in the abundance of each new day. So I have a whole series of affirmations that I've used to push back and push against the shame in my life and get rid of what Zig Ziglar used to call stinking thinking. This third member of the unholy trinity, shame. This is negative self-talk. It's an insidious one. We, we can easily become our own worst enemy. Because the fact of the matter is, you are enough. Because in Christ, you can do all things, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're enough because God's love is enough. And so, friends, uh, this is the unholy trinity. You know, what do you do when you run into, I'm a, I, there isn't enough? Fear, I don't do enough, guilt, or I'm just not good enough, shame. Um, you confront it. And these three tools that I shared with you, I'd be happy to give you the handouts for these if you'd find it helpful in your own life. Just email me at deepdivespirituality at uh, gmail.com. Love to serve you in some way if you like. I'd even go further with a conversation. But here's what I want you to do. God desperately needs men and women who are committed 
to manifesting and living out the kingdom, living out the fruits of the Spirit in a world that point others to the beauty of God, to the beauty of faith, hope, and love. God's given us all gifts. The body only works when each one of us gets that song out of us that God's inspired us to sing, gets that book out of us that God's inspired us to write, gets the work out of us that God has called us to do, that allow, that we step out and become the people that God created us to be. Again, but the opponent is the unholy trinity. Um, my prayer for all of you who are listening is that uh, the unholy trinity can begin to even lose its power in your life today. If I could be, again, of service, reach out. Again, I thank you for listening. I'll put a few resources in the show notes, some of the books that I mentioned. And again, if I can help you, reach out. I want that tool, deepdivespirituality at gmail.com. If this helps you, please share it with others. And I'd also love if, um, you know, if you like my podcast, if you could put a review out there wherever you got this, then that would help other people to find it. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, be a voice of hope to others. And as my colleague and mentor Bob Tuttle says, show up, pay attention. God's got way more invested in your life than even you do. I'll talk to you next time.